formed a facility, gathered people, gathered a team, uh, but they're now like hitting nearly 300 people in church every single Sunday, which is an absolute phenomenon for being only like six months old. And uh, just doing an amazing job. So Elon Christian and Botany, let's put our hands together. Pastor Adam Fox. Amen. You can grab a seat. Oh, I love this place. How good is Elon Christian Centre Botany? I've done so many ridiculous things on this stage. What a time to be alive. It is so good to see you. I can't wait for the conference warm-up next week. That's going to be good. I'll be your warm-up warm-up. Um, it's a real honour to be here tonight. Uh, it always is. Um, we had a great morning in Papakura today. Thanks for asking. Uh, we had Hayley Barrett come and preach, which was amazing. She did the message this morning for us that she did here last week in the evening. And we had about 15 people give their life to Jesus. How good is that? If you ain't clapping, you're going to make me work tonight. I mean, that is good news in the house. I love coming back to this place. It is absolutely one of my favourites. You guys have the best leaders in the world. Can we show some thanks for Pastor Steve and Pastor Bex? You guys are the best. You guys ready for the Word? I I don't get to preach here often. I'm not going to read into that too much. Uh, (laughs) But I've come to preach and I've got a word on my heart that I believe is uh, for you. It's going to challenge you. And I hope you're ready to be challenged because the Word of God should always challenge us, but it should also uplift us and have us leave different. We are in part three of a series called You Asked For It. Everyone say, you asked for it. So you don't blame me for the topic because you guys asked for it, all right? And today I'm going to be answering a question. Um, I forget the wording of the question because I always get it mixed up. There it is. Is being proud of your achievements the same as being prideful, all right? A couple of people asked a question around this topic, so we sort of like gathered it together and thought it would be a good one to address. Is being proud of your achievements the same as being prideful? Now, we love celebrating here at Elam. I don't know if you picked that up. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. You saw the crunchy thing. That's just how we do it. We give out chocolate bars all the time. I'm convinced that we single-handedly keep the crunchy bar production line in operation. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm never at the supermarket watching anyone else buy a crunchy bar, all right? Like, Cadbury is praising God for Elam Christian Centre. We love celebrating because we believe that celebration is at the heart of God. So when we come to our services, that's why we're screaming some louder than others. We're lifting our hands. We're celebrating because we believe that church should be about delivering the good news, right? That Jesus didn't just die for us, but that three days later, guess what? He rose again, and that makes all the difference. And so in all of our services, across all six of our campuses, every single morning and in the evenings, we give out that hokey-pokey goodness to anyone and everyone who's got anything whatsoever to celebrate. Sometimes they're not even celebrations, but we give out the chocolate anyway. Right? We'll just give them out uh, for anyone who's got any reason to celebrate. We say, well done. They're not our crunchy bars. Until we, until we get told to stop, I'm just, yeah, just give them out. We say, well done. We say, congratulations. We say, you should be proud of yourself. We clap our hands. We cheer every now and then. I stomp my foot in excitement. Like, there's just something about seeing other people excel and do well. It's invigorating. There's something exciting about seeing people do well in their life. And we acknowledge and we highlight their efforts and we say, you should be proud of yourself. And there's something about this that just seems so very right, isn't there? There's something about celebrating that just feels great. And yet we read in God's Word, in Proverbs 16, verse 18, it says, uh, I'll, I'll read it 
correct me for you, it says your boast becomes a prophecy of future failure. The higher you lift yourself up in pride, the harder you'll fall in disgrace. And so we've been asked this question, how do we reconcile this idea of being proud of your achievements and the crystal clear explanation in Scripture that the sin of pride will lead to our destruction? Now, not many of us would describe ourselves as prideful people. Like if I asked you to describe a prideful person, you might say, well, they're arrogant, maybe confident, maybe condescending or patronizing, you would say, those are the sorts of people that think they're better than others, right? They walk around thinking that they're better than other people. But you and I, we would say, I'm not like that. I'm not a prideful person because I don't walk around thinking that I'm better than other people. And while that is great, that's a good thing, God's Word actually describes pride to be a little different. God's Word illustrates pride to look a little different from perhaps we've perceived it in the past. I mean, take the story of Jonah and the whale. So Jonah gets this word from God to deliver a message to the city of Nineveh. God says, go to the city, deliver the message, because they're a city that have turned their back on me and they need to turn back to me, to God. And so Jonah hears the message. There's no doubt that he understands exactly what it is that God is asking him to do. And so he starts running (laughs) in the opposite direction. Like he doesn't want a bar of it, right? He ends up on a boat, conveniently hit by a large storm. He gets thrown overboard and he's swallowed by a large fish. Three days later, he spat up onto the land and this time God speaks again. He says, Jonah, stop it. Go to Nineveh and deliver the message. This time Jonah hears the word of God and he actually chooses to obey. You know, God asked Jonah to do something, but in this moment, that first moment, he concludes that maybe it would be better if he didn't. He concludes that maybe God was wrong on this one. He decides that maybe he knows better than God. And the result was that he ended up doing the very thing that God asked him to do. He just had to be humbled and turned into fish vomit in the process. Don't be like Jonah. What about the story of Adam and Eve? So we read in the book of Genesis that God creates Adam and Eve and he places them in a garden and he gives them a very clear instruction. He says, listen, you can eat from any tree in the whole garden. Go for gold, eat that tree, eat that tree, make a fruit salad, have a smoothie, do whatever you want. Like eat all of the fruit, but you see that one tree in the middle, don't touch that one. He warned them against that one. He said, that one will harm you. In fact, that one will kill you. And there's no denying that Adam and Eve understand exactly what it is that God has asked them to do. But in Genesis chapter three, verse one, the enemy comes along and he says this, he says, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees? Can you see what he's already trying to do? He's already trying to deceive in the way that he asks the question. He's already trying to deceive in the way that he challenges. He says, did God really say you couldn't eat from any of the trees? God never said that. In fact, God said, eat from all the trees, just not that one. And so he's trying to present to Eve a half truth so that she would be caught up not knowing what God said and what God didn't say. But Eve sees straight through this and she's like, no, mate, we can eat from any of the trees in the garden. We just can't eat from that tree. God warned us against that. He said it would harm us. In fact, he said it would kill us. He said our life would be better if we didn't eat from that tree and the enemy comes along. He says, nah, you won't die. He starts challenging God's word. He says, God's just worried because if you eat from that tree, then you'll become like God, knowing both good and evil. Get this, they were already like God. They were made in the image of God. And he says, you'd become like God, knowing both good and evil. There was something about the statement that sparked something in Eve's heart. There was something about it where she began to imagine what it would be like 
to have more than God had originally entrusted her with. She began to give birth to what would happen if she had more power than what God had given her. And it says in verse six that the woman was convinced. I mean, that's a miracle. That's the first and only time a woman made a quick decision on what to have for lunch. I don't know about you, but in my household, we spe- it's like Netflix. You spend more time trying to decide what to watch than actually watching it. Same goes for lunch. So both Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. It's sin and they're cast out of the Garden of Eden. You have to understand that this would have broken God's heart. This moment in time, this biblical account is referred to by Bible scholars as the fall. It's the moment that humankind fell. It's the moment that they engaged in sin. And Proverbs 16 says that pride comes before the fall. And so we know that the very moment immediately before Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Garden of Eden is a moment that we can identify as a moment of biblical sinful pride. You know what I don't see? I don't see Adam walking around thinking he was better than Eve. I don't see Eve walking around in a condescending manner thinking she was better than Adam. What I see is Eve giving birth to this idea in her heart that maybe there was an alternative way to what God was saying. Maybe God had gotten this wrong. Maybe she could have gained more if she did it her way. Pride is exposed in this very moment as someone making the conclusion that their ways are above God's ways. So Eve, she sold this incorrect picture of success. She's led to believe that if she has all the knowledge and all the power, she could achieve anything that she wants to achieve. She is convinced by a well-crafted lie, and as a result, she's removed from God's will. Look, the truth is, friends, like every single one of us desire to live a life of significance, a life that matters, a life that has purpose, a life that counted for something. And he's placed within each and every one of us the gifts we need to make a difference, to actually get out there and to live a life that perhaps we would deem as successful. But the problem is you and I are constantly being sold an incorrect picture of what success looks like. I remember um, I went to university, studied four years to be a teacher, and I was convinced with my whole heart, like everything in me, it never even crossed my mind that there was another way that my teaching degree after the four years would result in a teaching job. It did not. About seven people in our graduating class of 33 got a job. Maybe it was just our fault. I don't know. I was sold this picture that if I went through this process, it would result in success. Now, for me personally, like I'm all for university, it's amazing, but for me personally, I remember that moment deciding whether I should go or not. And somewhere in the back of my head was this little voice saying, if you wanna be successful in life, a degree is necessary. I was sold this picture of success. You know, I always had like this five to 10 year plan for my life. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew what I was gonna achieve. I knew exactly how I was gonna achieve it. But can I be honest with you? The moment I became a Christian, it's like I lost all sight of what my future would look like, and yet I've never experienced so much peace knowing whose hands my future rested in. It's like I completely lost control of my life, and yet my life has always been in control. See, the enemy, he's like a bad magician. He just uses the same tricks, the same tactics to plant a seed in your heart that would pull you away from all that God has for you. He says, did God really say that? And this is why, God, you have to know the Word of God. Because when the enemy says, did God really say that? We go, I don't know. Did he? And so when we spend time in words God and we begin to understand his heart and we understand his scriptures, when the enemy comes along and says, did God really say that? You can say, yes, he did. Or no, he didn't. But the follow-up lie, the follow-up line of deception that he tries to play is, surely that's not true. Look, pride is not just being arrogant around other people. 
but it's this cancerous and destructive perspective that you and I could possibly know better than God. God shares his heart on this in Isaiah 55. Believe it's in your notes. He says, look, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts and my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, pride can sneak into our life in the most unobvious ways. It doesn't mean that you're boastful or arrogant. It doesn't mean that you walk around thinking that you're better than other people. But biblical sinful pride is that fateful era of, of, of allowing mistrust in our life to develop towards God. It's this idea that control is better off in our hands than it is in God's. So can we be real for a moment? I mean, I've been real the whole time. I like to think so. Tonight, I want to check out some challenges, if that's okay. And as I wrote these, they challenged me. Come on, pride could be the very reason that some people here don't give regularly. Listen, we read in God's word, it is abundantly clear that God says bring the first portion of what we have into his house, not out of obligation, not because we have to, but because there's a real joy in partnering with God to see a community transformed for Jesus. It is in his word, but we believe this lie that, you know, actually we, we hear that lie from the enemy that says, did God really say that? And if he did, surely that's not true. But God did say that. But we hear that and we're believing this lie that I could do more in my life with my 100% that God could do in my life with my 90. Come on, pride can be the reason that some people get involved in sexual relationships before marriage, right? Because this is what happens. We say, God, you're amazing. God, all the time you're good. Like you're incredible. You've been leading me. You've been guiding me. I've been trusting you, man. You're God, you're so good. But then we get to this little thing and we go, <laughs> yeah, but like, God's a bit out of touch with 2019, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's different nowadays, so God, I'll just take control from here. Trust actually counts when it doesn't make sense to you. Trust actually counts when you say, I've got an idea and God's got an idea, but perhaps God's idea is better. Pride can be the reason that many people in this room haven't applied for an Elam Leadership College internship yet. Because you're convinced that there's a more successful option that you could promote yourself, elevate yourself, push yourself forward more if you took it another way and you've concluded that maybe God doesn't know what's best for you. You've heard the Word of God, but, but, but it's just it's so hard to believe that maybe God's plan for your life is a little different. Maybe as, as we've been talking about it in, in our services and maybe it's been in the notices that we've had, you felt God speaking to you about giving a year of your life to build His house so He could build your life to see what he could do through you, but you're like, ah, oh, I'm hearing the voices of my friends talk about their paychecks and their so-called opportunities, and we're lured away by something that was never a call for our life. Come on, pride can be the reason that you carry unforgiveness in your heart. Because we read God's word, it's abundantly clear that he asks us to forgive for you, for your sake, so that you could be free, so that you could be transformed, so that you could have breakthrough in your life, but we say, yeah, but, God just doesn't understand, right? And yet God does understand. And he's asking that you would trust him. Come on, pride can be the reason that you carry around that addiction or that habit because you won't humble yourself and ask God for help. It's like day in and day out, week in and week out, month after month, year after year, you're just getting sick of trying to do it in your own strength. But we need to humble ourselves and ask for God's help. Come on, we have to stop believing the lie that our future rests in our hands or our lecturer's hands or our boss's hands, but God invites us to place the security of our life into His hands. And trust me, I get that this is so very scary. I get that you don't have the information that you need. I get that you don't have the answers that you want. But can I say for me, I've, I've been living 
the life that I have. I've been a Christian now about 11 years, and I am so absolutely compelled by what I do know about God to trust Him in what I don't know. There are so many things I can't answer. I don't know certain things. I can't answer certain questions. There's things that I'm wrestling with. But in the midst of all of that, I know God has restored hope to my life. He's given me a purpose. He's given me a plan. And so while I don't know the answer to everything, if my experience of God is anything to go by, then I know that His character is trustworthy in the things that I don't know. Here's a couple of really cool verses I want to show you that show God's heart towards pride. Psalm 18 verse 27 says, You rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. There is protection when we're humble. James 4, 7 says, humble yourself before God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It's so important that we humble ourselves. Proverbs 18, 12 says, haughtiness goes before destruction, humility precedes honor. Those who are humble will inherit honor. Proverbs 11, verse two says, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You know what pride will do? What we've just read in those verses? is pride is gonna rob you of a few things. Pride, pride is gonna rob you of protection, it's gonna rob you of honor, and it's gonna rob you of wisdom. Let's take the story of Adam and Eve. The moment they elevated their idea above God's idea, what happened? They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, out of God's protection. The moment they chose their idea above God's idea, the Bible says they immediately realized they were naked and felt shame. They no longer felt honorable. And the moment they elevated their idea above God's idea, they made a decision that no one would argue was lacking in wisdom. It had catastrophic consequences. When there's pride in our life, it'll rob us of protection, of honor, and wisdom. But the great news is that the antidote to pride is humility. You know, humility in the Bible is often referred to using the word meek, right, meek. But don't mistake meekness for weakness. There is strength in humility. When we can develop a humble heart in our life, it allows us to have protection, to have honor, and to have wisdom. I wanna give you a couple of thoughts um, in our final moments um, here tonight on how you can build humility in your life. Because the truth is pride will rob some of the greatest things away from your life. But if you can build humility, it's gonna combat this. We are so focused, eh? so often, like how do I get this out of my life? How do I get this out of my life when sometimes we just need to fill it with the right stuff and the bad stuff just leaves? The first thing is this, humility looks like obedience. Oh, that's not fun. Humility looks like obedience. Pride is that whisper in your ear that says the only good ideas are your ideas. Pride is the whisper in your ear that says, if you didn't decide it, you're not a leader. Pride is that debilitating lie that says you have to have your own way in order to be strong. But if we wanna squash out the pride that sneaks into our lives, what we have to do first is recognize where our limits lay so that we can choose to trust God. We have to understand that our ideas need to be submitted to God's ideas. You know what I love the most about Pastor Luke, our senior pastor? It's his humility. Like, he is one of the most phenomenal leaders. Like he's like a father to our nation. He is incredible. And maybe you've never had a conversation with him. Try your best. Like the amount of wisdom that just flows from his mouth is out of control. It's not fair. Um, but what I love about Pastor Luke is he's an amazing leader, but he realizes at the same time, he doesn't have to have the answer to every question. He doesn't have to have the solution to every problem. There was a while back um, when none of our auditoriums were painted black. That doesn't sound like a big deal. It was. <laughs> And Pastor Luke had a bunch of young pastors and leaders knocking on his door saying, Pastor Luke, Pastor Luke, could we paint the auditoriums black because it'll be a minimalistic, clean look that'll appeal to the next generation? And Luke's like, I, I don't get it. Like, it wasn't his preference. 
It wasn't something he would have chosen. But you know what he did? He began to believe that maybe those young pastors and leaders were connected with another generation in a way that he wasn't. He was secure enough in himself, in his leadership, and what God had called him to do, and he realized that just because it wasn't his idea doesn't mean it wasn't a good one. This should be like our approach to God. Just because it wasn't our idea doesn't make it a good one. We can trust God to help us make decisions in our life. Come on, when you go to a doctor and they prescribe you medication, let's be honest, you have no idea if it's actually good for you. Like, you just believe they're prescribing, like, I mean, you even try to pronounce the name of some of that stuff. That's, that's like speaking in tongues. You've got no idea if it's actually helpful for you, but you just believe that they're prescribing it to you because they genuinely want you to get well. But there's an element of faith. There's an element of trust. Can I say that when we live our life in a way that's different from how God designed it, this is actually an issue of pride because we're not willing to submit to the fact that God actually knows us better than we know ourselves. Humility is a transfer of decision-making power. You need to hear this. Authority is in your hands or it's in God's hands, but it cannot be in both. That's really confronting. Authority is in your hands or it's in God's hands, but it cannot be in both. How often do we say, God, why haven't you come through? Like, where's the breakthrough in my life? I prayed a prayer. You said about the mountains gone, like everything. Like, God, where are you? And God's sitting there going, because the authority is in your hands. Because you won't let it go. I'm here to intercede. I'm here to help. I'm here to guide. I'm here to bring breakthrough to your world. But as long as you cling on to it, I cannot take it. Because the authority is in our hands or it's in His. And when we place our authority into God's hands and we say, God, I trust your word for my life, we find that's when breakthrough comes. God's word for your life is not a pick and mix it countdown. Now, I love a good pick and mix it countdown. Yeah, amen, I'm preaching, I'm preaching now. Like you get a little gummies, you leave those gross banana ones. Like, yeah, amen. You take what you want. Booja mix is all right on a good day. You love booja. I, I chucked that one in for you. I didn't, I didn't actually believe it, but I knew it would resonate with your heart. You like the booja mix. <laughs> it's not like where we take what we like and we leave what we don't. Right? Our, our lives are designed to be built off the truth of God's word, not God's word built off the preferences of our life. Humility looks like obedience, second thing. Humility is the road to honor. Humility is the road to honor. Proverbs 15, 33 says, The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. Honor is one of the most prized possessions in humanity. Like it's so elevated that it makes people do the craziest things in order to attain it. So like you'll see professional sports people take performance enhancing drugs that they know are illegal to cheat the system to try and attain honor. You see, it causes colleagues to step all over each other in this frantic climb to the top of the corporate ladder. It leads others to self-promotion and to tearing down the successes of those around them. But as it is with many things in the kingdom of God, Honor is attained in a different way from how the world would present it. See, when the world says push higher, work harder, step all, all over others, promote yourself, and do whatever it takes to attain honor, God would say, sit down, be humble. Kendrick Lamar said that. He's a rapper. But he, that's, that's straight Bible. That's, he must have been preaching that day. God would say, though, be humble. He'd say, be gracious. Be generous, speak highly of your enemies, promote other people, serve other people. That's why when Jesus came, he was a servant leader. What's he saying? He's saying, look, what you have to understand is the way to reach heaven is to fall on your knees. And I get that this is so counterintuitive. 
This is so against what we hear in media outlets through everything that we watch and we see and the conversations that we have. Well, God is like the way to reach heaven is to fall on your knees. And humility requires us to trust God's word even when it feels counterintuitive. In Philippians chapter two, uh, Paul is speaking about Jesus from verse six to 11. He says this, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. Jesus humbled himself. God lifted him up in honor to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. At the name that Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sometimes we get so set on elevating ourselves, but here's the challenge with that. If we elevate ourselves, we have to sustain ourselves in that place in our own strength. But when we humble ourselves into God's hands, He is the one that lifts us up in honor, and then His promise is that He would sustain us there in His strength. Come on, God is the one that elevates, He's the one that promotes, He's the one that brings honor, and He's the one that sustains. Pride is that whisper in your ear that says, you can make a name for yourself in your own strength. If you want your life to be marked with honor, Start each day and surrender to the king. If you want him to lift you up and elevate you, start each day by lifting up and elevating him. Humility is the road to honor. And the third thought I have for you today to combat the pride that sneaks into our life is this. Humility acknowledges grace. You know, at the heart of humility, it's an understanding of the gap. It's the gap between where you are and where God is. It's the gap between where you and I are and where we actually deserve to be. You know, so many people walk around thinking they're the bee's knees in the cat's pajamas, right? They walk around in their success, but they do it oblivious to the platform that they were born onto. Look, crunchy time is so special to us. We love celebrating with you all the things that are happening in your life. But you know what we're actually doing? We're praising God. We're thanking God for his goodness. It's okay to be proud of your achievements, but never do it ignorant to the fact that God afforded you those opportunities. It's okay to be proud of what you've achieved, but recognize that this was always in partnership with God. Look, biblical sinful pride is when we elevate our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own decisions above what is abundantly clear in God's word. When we do that, it will rob us of protection of honor and wisdom. You know, there's probably a bunch of things that you've been proud of in your life. That's awesome. You should be very proud of those things. Just don't forget that your life is a gift from God and those opportunities were afforded to you by Him in the first place. It's like a kid that's learning to ride a bike. Little Jimmy's on the bike, he's frothing, he's fanging, like he's loving it, right? Like wind in his hair, like the road's ahead, and he's going for it. He doesn't see that dad's running behind him with a hand on the seat. And for Jimmy, like, he's loving life and he's, he's, he's living it and he's, he's going for it. He's going all after, like, that, that, what's in front of him. He doesn't realize that at any moment, if dad let go of the seat, little Jimmy's going to face plant into the pavement. He's going to look like Bowden Barrett with the blood nose did last night, right? It's going to be a bad situation. Was it intentional? Probably not. No, no it wasn't. Can I just say to you, you should be very proud of yourself when you're riding the bike. You're doing amazing. You're doing great. You're doing all that God called you to do. But don't lose sight of the fact that God's probably running behind you holding the seat. We think we're so amazing. We think we're doing so well. And it's true, you are. But don't leave God out of that picture. 
You know, when I was in year eight in school, I'll, I'll just say it now, I was a bit of a boss when it came to athletics, right? <laughs> Janine, don't give me that look, it's true. I'm preaching. <laughs> this is gonna get you even better, especially in high jump. I tell you, that was my event. That was, that was my thing. Like, I, I used to always win the school competitions because I'd be able to jump the bar that was always a couple of centimeters higher than my head, right? And I remember this one time in year eight, I went to the, the Auckland competition and I came fourth. And I was really proud of my achievements for doing that because I wasn't the tallest high jumper, but I had the ability to jump high, so I backed myself. Band, you guys can join me, that'd be awesome. I backed myself as someone who could jump high. But can I let you in on a secret? I'm going to. Unless you run out, you're going to hear it. <laughs> There's this basketball player called Kevin Durant, and he can jump higher than me. I know. I know. The devil is a liar. <laughs> Kevin Durant can jump higher than me. And, and if we were to battle it out on the basketball court, apart from the fact that I'm an absolutely lousy shot, you would say, Kevin Durant's the man. He's dominating Frosty. He's slam dunking Frosty. He's not even getting the net. You would say, he's jumping way higher than Frosty. And can I suggest it's because the basketball hoop is the target. But if we made the target the moon, you might argue that Kevin Durant jumps higher than me, but pretty insignificantly. You'd be like, the moon's up here and, and Kevin Durant's jumping that high and, and Frosty's jumping that high. So in light of the target, they're as useless as each other. When we have a fresh perspective of the gap, we see things completely different. You may think that you jump higher than the person next to you, and it may be the case, but could I suggest that you are still so, so, so far away from the target, the target of perfection. And in Romans 3.23, that's what God presents to us. He says, all have sinned. You've done it, I've done it. You might be doing it, I might be doing it. We're all in the same boat. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another version says, we all fall short of God's, God's glorious standard. So he set the standard. It's perfection. That's how you attain eternity. That's how you attain righteousness. Be perfect. And yet, you may have done great things in your life. But pride says, I can jump higher than the person next to me. Humility acknowledges the gap. Look, you may have done really well in your career. That's awesome. Maybe you've read the whole Bible. Maybe you lead a small group. Heck, you may have even done growth track, discovered your purpose, and now you're making a difference. Maybe you've done those things, and that's amazing, but you're still so very far away from the target. Humility is being mindful of the gap and realizing that the only way to reach that target is if the target comes to us. The only way to attain perfection is if God closes the gap. Back yourself. Go after all that God has given you. Give it everything that you've got as if serving the Lord. But understand that we will still never attain that target of perfection unless it was for God and His grace. Humility acknowledges grace. And Paul understood this. It's gonna be the final thing I share with you. Paul, in the Bible, as far as the Bible was concerned, was the man. He said this, he said, though I could have confidence in my own efforts if anyone could, Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. He's like, if anyone could boast, I'm your guy. 
As far as boasting goes, I've got it all together. He says, I was circumcised at eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. What's he doing? He's listing the things that were considered honourable in that day. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so jealous, jealous, zealous, that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. But then he says this. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. He has closed the gap. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. Humility looks like obedience. Humility is the road to honour and humility acknowledges grace. Let's pray. God, I thank You that Your grace is enough for us. I thank You that You call us to do incredible things, to make a huge difference in our world. But I thank You that part of that call is that we would do it in partnership with You. I just wanna pray for one group of people right now, people that, maybe feel like you've been trying to do it in your own strength. You've been trying to hold on to your life and God wants to give you fresh vision and perspective as to how you can do this in partnership with Him. Maybe there's something that you've been struggling to trust God's Word on. If that's you, I'm just gonna pray for you now. You don't need to do anything. I'm just gonna pray for you. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, give them revelation, a revealing of the truth of Your Word. Give them an increase in faith to believe what it says and faith and boldness to step out in action and put it to their life. I pray, God, that as they do, you would bless them in Jesus' name. I'm gonna pray one final prayer. This is a prayer for people in this room. And you would say, if you were to reflect on your life honestly right now, you would say, Jesus is not the center of my life. Can I tell you, friends, that Jesus went to a cross and he died to pay the, sin, to pay the price for sin. It's the price that you deserve to pay. It's the price that I deserve to pay, but he took it on himself. You know what that means for you and I? It means it's a gift of grace. It's a gift of salvation that we cannot possibly earn. But in this moment, God chooses to close the gap. This is the greatest news of all because you don't need to get your life in order. You don't need to sort things out, but God sees you exactly as you are. And He says, that's a person I want a relationship with. And in just a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer. I'm gonna pray this out loud and I invite you to pray it in your heart. It's an invitation from God to you. I've got nothing to do with it. I'm just telling you, how God would see you today. And I'm believing in faith that there's people here who are gonna believe this message and they're gonna respond and their life will never be the same again. Jesus said this. He says, if you cling on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, there you will find it. If you wanna start a relationship with Jesus today, you wanna find brand new life, find freedom, find forgiveness for your sin and find purpose for the rest of your life, I invite you to pray this prayer. Say, dear God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've tried to do things in my own strength. But God, in this moment, I repent. I turn from that way of life towards a brand new way with you. God, I ask you to forgive me and I thank you that you do. I don't have it all figured out. But God, in this moment, I'm choosing to trust you with my life, holding nothing back. 
would you come in and make me brand new today? If you prayed that prayer, you meant it. I'm believing right now God's already beginning to transform your life. I'm gonna ask you to do one final brave thing. Every eye is closed. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to put up your hand. I'll see your hand. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it straight back down. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna stand you up. I'm not gonna bring you to the front. We won't come to your house. We won't do anything like that, but we do wanna help you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to be nice and brave and lift your hand in three, two, one, go right now. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Is there anyone else? Amazing, thank you. Praise God. Anyone else? You prayed that prayer, you meant it. We're just gonna wait a couple more moments. Anyone else? Well, God, I thank you for the hands that were raised. God, we thank you that it was never about hands and it was always about the heart that it represented and the eternity that has been absolutely transformed in this moment. I thank you that your grace is enough for them. God, would you bring the most incredible people around them? Would you remind them that they're loved? Would you bring purpose to their life, we pray in Jesus' Name, Amen. Come on, can we congratulate those people that made that decision tonight? Yeah, can we give it up for Frosty? What a great word that he brought.